Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you're here again today with us, and I hope that you'll go ahead and take your Bibles with me, and let's turn to the book of Acts chapter number 14 for our time in the Word uh, today as we're back in our series, the book of Acts, Church on the Move. And I'm excited to continue uh, this service and our continue this study. It's been so, so perfect for what we've been going through uh, as a church family, and so perfect what we've been going through as a nation as well. And I'm excited today to have some people in the room, and so that's great. And uh, you can't really see them, but I've got them to my right, to my left. We almost put some people behind me, uh, but we thought they didn't want to be on the live stream the whole service. And so we got people all over uh, spread out as, as required, um, but I'm thankful to have them with me today. And uh, so I'm going to do my best. You guys pray for me. I don't know whether to preach to the camera or to preach to, to, <laughs> to Joshua. I'm just working all of that out. And so uh, it'll be uh, a few weeks as we sort this out. But we're in Acts chapter 14 today, and uh, you can go to 13 if you want to. We'll end up there. That's where we picked it up, or we'll start off in 13. But that's where we left off our study in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 12. If you remember, it was a few weeks ago, uh, but it was back to uh, when the apostle Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were beginning that first missionary journey from the church in Antioch, that model church, Antioch of Syria, and they headed out on that first missionary journey. And what we did in our last studies, we followed them as they went from Antioch, took a boat to the island of Cyprus, and then on foot, they uh, took, uh, they began to go across the entire island of Cyprus, preaching and teaching uh, everywhere that they would go. But the thing that we saw was that even though they were preaching the gospel, they did not see a convert, at least one that was recorded for us, until they got to the city of Paphos. And you remember that whole situation with Bar-Jesus. And then we saw how uh, Bar-Jesus, who was his false prophet, and he was trying to convince uh, the local uh, um, the local uh, guy in charge there, he's trying to convince him not to believe what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. But then overall, uh, at the end of it all, God won, which he always does. And we saw here Sergius Paul being converted to the faith. And it would have been an exciting thing to see that convert there in Cyprus. But at the same time, and I want you to think about this, at the same time, it also would have been a little discouraging if you think about it to go to a place, to go to an island, to preach all over the entire place, and then only see that one convert after all of that work, after all of that effort. I mean, travel, of course, was so difficult in those days. If you wanted to go anywhere, you had to go by foot. I mean, today we are so spoiled, right? Uh, if, if I was like, hey, let's all go to Tawasan Mills and go shopping, but we all had to walk there. Can you imagine uh, what kind of trip that would be? We would arrive and we wouldn't want to do any shopping. <laughs> we would just be like, forget it. Uh, uh, we'd be exhausted. And so it was challenging. It was difficult. And then to go through all of that labor to just see that one person converted despite all of the opposition. Of course, we know others did turn to faith eventually, but I'm sure it would have been a little bit discouraging for them. After all of that work and just to see a few people come to Christ, was it really worth it? They might have been wondering. Was it really worth all of, all of the effort to be discouraged? Well, the good thing is, is Paul was not a guy to be discouraged easily. And so Paul decided that, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take this next step. And the Lord led him to go uh, to leave Paphos and to go across the water to a place called uh, Perga, which is in Pamphylia. I've got a map here that kind of shows uh, where that is. And you can kind of see uh, where they went. They traveled across. You can see the initial uh, uh, trip there. Uh, now, the green line is, a, is not their line. I want you to look at the red line here for a moment, because the red line is them traveling from Paphos up to uh, Attilia, and then they continued up into the mountains. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the green line there represents the trip of somebody else of their group, and that was John Mark. 
So remember how I talked about how they were discouraged? They, were, uh, they might have been discouraged anyway. One person we know who was discouraged was John Mark. And John Mark, once they crossed over to Perga, he actually left the group and began then to travel and to make his way back home to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly why he left the missions team at this point. We really don't. It could have been discouragement, definitely. It, it could have been that he was just along for the ride. Remember, Cyprus is where Barnabas was from. He might have had some extended family in the area. And he thought, yeah, this is great. But then when it became hard, when uh, Paul became sick, when travel became difficult, that he just got discouraged and said, I'm going to go home. It also could have been from fear. One of the interesting things is that the trip that they are about to go on was a 200-kilometer journey that had a 3,600-foot elevated climb at one point through rocky terrain, and it was known for one thing. It was known for bandits. It was known for robbers, and there were groups uh, that would hide out in the rocks, and they would just attack you. It was a very dangerous trip to make, and so maybe he was fearful. Maybe John Mark was concerned. Maybe he was uh, worried that he would get uh, in trouble, but regardless of why he left the group, Paul saw it as a desertion, and in fact, it caused some trouble between Paul and Barnabas later on, but we're not going to talk about this today. That's coming up in a future message, but here's the thing. Even though John Mark walked away, even though it was discouraging, even though one of their missions teams had left them, Paul and Barnabas continued. And here's the keys for today. They were faithful to the call. They persevered. They were determined to complete the work of God no matter what it was that they would be facing. And you know, church, the Christian life is not easy, is it? The Christian life is not a bed of roses. It is a struggle. There is trouble along the way. It is difficult. Many do fall away. Many fall away like Mark. Many of them uh, struggle. And maybe for some of you, maybe you fell away for a time and then you came back. It's difficult. and, 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 And there's all sorts of challenges. But God's desire for us as believers is not that we would give up. His desire for us is that we would have resolve, that we would be determined, that we would continue on no matter the trials or the discouragement. If you think of Hebrews chapter number 12 and verses 1 through 2, a very familiar passage where we're encouraged to run with patience, right? There's the key word. Run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we run with patience? Well, it's looking unto Jesus. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think about it. Jesus endured the suffering of the cross for us. He despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's what's so great about being a Christian today is that we may go through trouble. We may go through trials like we see uh, Jesus going through. But at the end of the day, we're going to stand in heaven and we're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to be there with him. And that's just a wonderful thing that we can look forward to. And so because of that, we need to be determined. We need to continue on. And that's what we see with Paul and Barnabas, they were determined and they uh, continued on no matter the opposition. A man by the name of uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., he said this, he said, the true test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. The test of a man's character or a woman's character or a child's character is what it takes to stop them. Well, in our example today, we're going to be encouraged to continue to serve the Lord no matter what the circumstances are, to press on, to be determined. If we endure for the Lord, there is going to be some suffering. But in the end, we have to remember, our life is not our own, is it? We are bought with a price. We are bought with the suffering of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The least we can do is continue to be faithful, to continue to serve him, and to get back to where we need to be. So I want to have a quick word of prayer, and we'll get into the bulk of the message this morning. Father, thank you for this great example that we see here of Paul and Barnabas and of their faithful service to you. Lord, help us today to be faithful despite the circumstances. Help us to be faithful despite the challenges. Lord, it's been a challenging year. But Lord, we need you more than ever right now. 
And we ask that you'd help us to be faithful and to learn from this great testimony of perseverance in times of struggle. I pray that you'd be with the message in your name. Amen. Well, like I mentioned, the journey that they were on now from Perga going up to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, I want you to take note of that. There's two Antiochs. There's Antioch of Syria. That's where the model church was. And then now they're going to Antioch of Pisidia, which is a totally different region and a totally different experience. And the experience, I don't know if they maybe talk like, hey, maybe this Antioch will be like the last Antioch. I don't know. But when they got there, it wasn't anything like it. They preached the gospel. Some people did turn to the Lord. People turned to faith. But as a result of persecution from the Jews in the city, Paul and Barnabas were left the town. And what they did, and we see this at the end of chapter number 13, is they left the town. And when they left the town, the Bible tells us that they shook the dust off of their feet at the town. I don't know how that looked. You know, they kind of shook the dust off. Now, that was something, if you remember, that Jesus had said to his disciples, when you go out and you come to a town and they will not hear you, he says, shake the dust off your feet and move on. There is a scriptural principle that after a time, if a place will not be receptive to the gospel and is so against the word of God, that there is a time to maybe move on. And so we see them here. They did not go very well. A few believed, but they shook the dust off and Paul and Barnabas then continued on and they left. And to me, that would have been heartbreaking, right? Think about it. Giving your time and preaching and, and constantly being rejected and resisted. But what we see here in verse thir- or chapter 13, verse 52, we see that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Here, here, here's the thing. No matter what you're facing, you can have joy. No matter what you're going through, all you need is that indwelling power and comfort and strength and help of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to take note of this because to me, it's like a marker of what's going to happen in chapter 14. And we're going to cover the whole chapter, chapter 14 today. But what we see happening in 14 is constant trial, constant difficulty. But we also have to remember that they had the Holy Spirit with them. And so because they had the Holy Spirit, they had joy in the midst of those circumstances. So now they begin their journey. And point number one this morning, I want you to write down or put in your phone or wherever, write down that they first experienced division in Iconium. So we're going to walk with them as they end the journey of the first missionary journey. There's division in Iconium. Let's look at verse number one of Acts 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, that's awesome, a great multitude of the Jews and also of the Gentiles, say that word with me, they believed, they believed. So when they get there to Iconium, they go in and the gospel began to have an immediate effect. And, and their standard process was when they got to a town, they would go to the synagogue, right? And they begin to preach at the synagogue. And then as some would believe, they would move outside of the synagogue and then begin to speak to others that were in the area. But now we see them in the city called Iconium. And I've got a map here that kind of uh, shows that to us uh, where it is in the, in the journey. So they went across to Perga. Down there is the ocean. They came across from uh, Cyprus. They went on up to Antioch of Pisidia. That was the long journey that I talked about. And then the green line represents uh, sort of an easier journey. In fact, that road that goes from Antioch down to Iconium and then actually continues down is something that is called the Via Sebast. And I've got a picture of it today because you can still see it today. It was a road that was built by Caesar Augustus in uh, around, he began it in around 6 BC. It would have definitely been completed by this point. And it was a, uh, an east to west trading route that was very widely traveled. Now to us, we look at this road and we're like, that, that, I, that's, that looks very bumpy. You know, you can feel 
feel my back would hurt. But that was an amazing road for that day. I mean, it's wide. So much could be done with it. The Romans, that was one, one of the good things they did was put roads all over. And so Iconium was easily or very nicely settled or nestled right along that road. And so it was a widely traveled area. And Paul and Barnabas made that trip and arrived there. And when we saw what happened there at the beginning, when they got there, things were pretty positive, right? It says a great multitude of the Jews and then of the Gentiles also believed. But then we come to verse number two, because it never lasts long for these guys. I don't know what it is about them. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. So the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. That's where we get the division in Iconium. The city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Literally, we see a city divided between two opinions over the gospel right here. I mean, split, the city is completely divided. And yet what I want you to notice in that passage there at the very beginning, it says when people were stirred up, their minds were evil affected against. The Jews were speaking against them. Did you notice how it says that they abode there a long time? Did you see that in verse number three? They stayed and they continued to preach the gospel even though people were slandering them and, and speaking against them. They did not take off at that first sign of trouble. They stayed and they continued to preach the word of God. Now, what a lesson for us today. I was thinking about it this week. What a lesson for me. Because how often and how quickly do we give up when things get tough? How often and how quickly do we uh, allow our faith to waver or we become filled with doubt the first time that things don't go our way? Right? How many times have things not turned out how we thought? We're like, well, where is God? <laughs> where are you in all of this? And so quickly we just change and so quickly we get uh, discouraged and we get frustrated. But uh, Paul and Barnabas had a different mentality. I think Paul described his mentality in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8 through 9, where Paul said this. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now, I bolded the, the things that they were not. Do you notice that? He's saying here, he said, listen, there's trouble, but we're not distressed by it. Uh, we are perplexed. We're like, what's going on? But we're not in despair. That's the thing. Often we allow the trouble and the perplexedness of life to cause us to be in trouble and, and perplexed and, and wondering and always worried about what's happening. He says we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Think about that. They're persecuted by those unbelieving Jews. They're persecuted by the Gentiles that have been convinced. He says, but we're not forsaken from our heavenly father. We're not forsaken by God. He says we're cast down but we're not destroyed. He recognized the eternality of what was taking place. I don't even know that's a word, eternality. I think it is. He recognized the eternal nature of what was happening there. He knew that it was continuing on. And, and that is a determined mindset. Don't you agree? That no matter what they were facing, they stayed a long time despite that. And they preached the word of God and they continued to stick it out. And I want to encourage you today, would you stick it out? <laughs> would you stick it out? And it feels like 2020 is just... I can't even, right? <laughs> you can't even talk about 2020. I can't even begin to understand. And I'm so frustrated with some of the things that are happening and it's so discouraging. But listen, don't give up. You may give up on 2020, but don't give up on your faith. <laughs> you may give up on this year, but don't give up on your God. Don't give up on your walk with God. Some of you that may be, may be watching today, right now you haven't read your Bible for weeks. You're struggling in your faith and you're, you're, you're discouraged and you're like, what is, what is happening here? Don't give up on him. You can be perplexed, as we see here, 
but not in despair. You can be in trouble, but not distressed. Man, you should maybe write those verses out for 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. Put them somewhere in your, in your house and remind that, it, okay, you can go through those difficulties. You can go through some struggles, but you don't have to be completely blown away by it and destroyed by it. And that's what we see here. And these men, I mean, are just, are just awesome. I love their bravery here. But, but there's another aspect to this that I want you to see. They were brave men, but they, but they weren't foolish men as well. <laughs> that's one thing. Sometimes people think Christians are just brave, but they're foolish. No, no. These guys were born again, but they weren't born yesterday. And I want you to see, I want you to see what happens here. You can tell we haven't met together in a while. Everybody's all like laughing. That's good. <laughs> um, here's why I say that. There is a time for bravery. There's a time for speaking. There's a time for standing up, but sometimes there's a time to leave as well. And that's what we see here in verse five. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. So, so it got serious here. Stoning was, not a, stoning was not a joke. Stoning was death. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of the Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Well, now we've seen them run out of two cities. <laughs> two cities now they've been run out of on this amazing first missionary journey, right? How great it's been going. But I want you to notice again that they continued to just preach the gospel. They continued to serve. No matter what their situation, they continued to go on. Undoubtedly, it would have been discouraging. Undoubtedly, at this point, they would have been discouraged because they hadn't had the time to disciple those new believers. I mean, there were that, those that were saved, but they hadn't established anything. There were no churches established. Now he's gonna get back to that in a few, uh, in a few months. But now they go on to a place 30 kilometers away from there uh, called Lystra. And uh, it was what was described as a wild place, <laughs> as a wild place. And I'll, I'll show you here in a minute because things now go from bad to worse again. And things begin to heat up. And in fact, they get a little weird. So let's look at our second point where we see delusion in Lystra. So there's division in Iconium and now there's delusion in Lystra. Now we don't know a lot about Lystra. We've got a map here where it was. It was a little uh, southeast, uh, sorry, directly south of Iconium there, about 30 kilometers. And it was off the beaten path a little bit. It was, uh, some people described it as sort of like an old west town. <laughs> uh, today you may be like just way out in the middle of nowhere, not very many people. And it was, a very unique situation. It was removed. It had been made a town, a Roman town, but they still had not really submitted to Roman authority. They still uh, were very Greek in the way that they approached things. And as well, they had maintained their pagan beliefs and their pagan nature. Uh, they were, the, the, the city was described as an uneducated city. So not a lot of education that was there. They had their own language that was only really spoken in that region. And they were described as barbarians, is how they were described to other people in the way that they worshiped and went about their life. And there were very, very few Jews that were there. In fact, there were not enough Jews to even have a synagogue. You only had to have 10 Jewish men in order to start a synagogue. They didn't even have that many to have a synagogue in this city. And it's this situation that they move into. And it begins with a flying start. <laughs> Look at verse number eight. It says, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, so he could not walk, being crippled from his mother's womb, 
who never had walked. Now, this is like the lame man at the gate beautiful that Peter healed. Remember that? From their birth. Now, this is just a little thing here. But if it had been an accident or if it had been some other thing and they'd healed him, people might have said, well, you know, his, his health changed. He got better. He, you know, he just sort of naturally. But when you have two men, no, this will be the second one here. You know what's coming. The second one here, lame from his birth. Everyone knew. I mean, there was no chance this guy was ever going to walk. So that's who he is. Verse 9, the same heard Paul speak. So he hears him preach, who steadfastly beholding him and uh, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. This is Paul perceiving it. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And what did he do? He leaped and he walked. Now that's awesome. That's awesome. And, 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 and Paul, he comes in here, he begins to preach the gospel, and he notices somebody in the room who's really paying attention. And their eyes kind of connect. Now, as a pastor, I understand this. Uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but there's sometimes when I'm preaching that there's somebody in the room who's just sort of like, you know, sort of locked in. And I've learned it's two things, two things. Either number one, they're trying really hard to stay awake. That's the one thing I've learned. And they're just like, I am not going to fall asleep. Or, or the spirit of God is connecting them to the message. And I don't know, it's a unique thing. And I love it when it happens. There's, it's, it's not always the same person. It, the Lord does. And you guys know what it's like to have a, a certain message or certain things that God really speaks to you in that time. And that's what happened here. He sees him and he, and, he, and he notices, he's like, he's locked in and he just, in the spirit of God and in the power of God, he just says, hey, stand up and start to walk. And it says that he leaped and he ran around. Now, this was a, one of those unique sign gifts that was given to the apostles in order to uh, jumpstart the gospel while the word of God was still being completed. And just like that, he was healed and it caused a big stir. It caused a big stir. But Rather than the kind of stir that you would expect or the kind of stir that we've seen in other situations, this is where it gets a little bit weird. And I think Paul and Barnabas did not see this coming. So look at verse number 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of uh, Lyconia, this is what they said, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter. He's Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Verse number 13. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. What is happening here? You know, you read this and you're like, what in the world? You know, before someone be healed, then the multitudes would come and hear the gospel and they would all be saved, you know? Instead, they're like, the gods are down to, you know, have come down, Jupiter and Mercury. Um, uh, and, and, and if you're wondering what's going on, they, th- this reveals the area a little bit. What they're doing is they're responding based off of a ancient legend that was in their region. Now, this is really interesting. The legend is, is that Zeus and Hermes had once come to their area. And when they came to their area, they were looking, they came down as men and they were looking for somewhere to go. They're looking for somewhere to stay. And they went to a thousand homes and everyone turned them away. And then what happened is they finally came to an old couple's home. Now, house made out of straw. They didn't have much at all, but they welcomed those two gods who came as men. They welcomed them into their home and they fed them and they took care of them. And so as a result, in appreciation, the gods turned their straw cottage into a temple and he made this old man and woman, uh, their names were Philemon and Bacchus. He gave them and made them a priest and a priestess. And they were immortalized when they died as a great oak and a linden tree. And so that's the, 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 
the story that was told, and then all of those thousands of homes that turned them away, or 1,000 that turned them away, guess what those gods did? They destroyed all of them. They destroyed all of them. So this was the legend that was in this region. And so you have to understand these people of Lystra, uh, they were determined to not make that same mistake again. <laughs> and so when they saw this miracle, they're like, oh, you remember what happened before? Welcome, welcome. You know, Nobody wants to be destroyed because of this legend. It, it tells a lot about uh, their belief system and, and how they were. But they did not want to make that same mistake. And so they say, well, we're going to sacrifice to them. The priest comes out. He's got oxen. He's got garlands around them. And they begin to uh, begin the process of starting to sacrifice to these men, Paul and Barnabas, as gods. Now, I want you to remember, the day started out pretty good, didn't it? The day started out pretty good. We saw a man healed. People were listening to the preaching. But how quickly Satan got in and began to bring delusion into the hearts and the minds of the people there, just like he continues to do today. Some of you have experienced this. Maybe some of you, you've had a day that started out great. And you were, man, you read your Bible and you had your coffee and you're just like, I mean, I'm close with the Lord today. And you're feeling great and you're, you're connected with him. And then as the day goes, some sin comes in, some wrong thoughts, some, you make some wrong decisions, you make poor choices, you say wrong things. At the end of the day, you're just like, what just happened? I started out so strong. What just happened? That's what I see here. They started out so great, but then Satan, Satan quickly came in and began to delusion and, and, and distract these people. So often that happens when a person is close to coming to Christ, a distraction comes in. Uh, they begin to talk about something else. Some sort of thing happens, and, and, uh, and, and Satan uses that to keep people from hearing the gospel. And once Paul and Barnabas, though, figured out what was going on, I want you to notice they'd have none of it. <laughs> so they're like, they're, they're gods, a sacrifice. Look what happens in verse number 14. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard it, uh, heard of, they rent their clothes. Now that's tearing your clothes was a sign of, uh, it was a response to sacrilege. So if you were talking to somebody as a, as a Jew who believed in God and somebody said, well, I don't believe in God, you'd rip your, you'd rip your clothes and be like, ah, sacrilege, terrible, how dare you? Know, or somebody said something against the law, that it was just an outward sign. And we'd be like, whoa, oh man, sacrilege is going on here. So both of them, that's what they do. They begin to tear their clothes and, and, they, and then it says, and they ran in among the people crying out and saying, sirs, why do you do these things? And what are you doing here? It says, we are also men of like passions like you. He says, we're, we're men, and we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities. What is he talking about? The sacrificing and the, the worship of these false gods, uh, the untrue gods. And he says, uh, we preach that you should turn from these vanities unto a living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. And you're like, oh yeah, he's about to ramp up. He's about to preach a message. Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, he's talking about Jesus. He left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, uh, filling our hearts with food and gladness. By the way, he is speaking to these Greeks, uh, to these Gentile believers in ways that they would understand. He's talking about harvest and he's talking about rain and he's talking about, you understand, if this was more like a, what they were described as barbarians, he's talking to them in the matter of the earth. And, and, he, and by the, this is a great example. We witness to different people in different ways. Sometimes you approach the gospel in different ways with different people. And verse 18, and with these sayings though, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. I mean, he barely restrained them from beginning to sacrifice. I don't know, maybe they, maybe they killed the oxen. I don't know, you know, and they're bleeding out, you know, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But they're trying to stop that. Think how, think how chaotic that would have been. 
they're chanting Jupiter, Jupiter, you know, Mercury, Mercury, and and uh, and uh, and then and then the priest comes in, he's got the oxen, and they're like, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, the gods have come down to us, and they're they're telling the story, and then Paul and Barnabas running in and ripping their clothes as they're running into the crowd, and no, no, I mean, it would have just been incredible, but I want you to notice that again, Satan here had a stronghold in this area, because they begin to start preaching, but they don't even get to the resurrected Christ. <laughs> They only get to talking about God, the creator. They don't even get to the resurrected Christ before they're interrupted again, before the people still were trying to push the idea of sacrifice. And how difficult that must have been for Paul and Barnabas to see the witness of Christ that they had intended to bring to these people diluted and ignored because of this earthly philosophy, because of this false beliefs that these people had. And for them, of course, we know they would have never accepted the worship of this people, and they were right to do so. You know, sometimes I wonder, though, I wonder if they were tempted to accept the worship of, of the people. Do you ever think about that? I wonder if they, maybe they said, hey, you know, if we go through with this, we can then preach to all of them, and maybe they'll believe in Christ if we just accept this false level. I, wonder, I, I just wonder about that. I don't know. You know, it's good to think about those kind of things sometimes. But they didn't take it. <laughs> they said, no, no, worship is deserved for God and for God alone. And so they began to argue and resist. But then the story takes another turn. And I want you to see that in verse number 19. So in the middle of all of this, there came to their certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. This is just where they were, right? Certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Just like that in one verse. It goes from the people, they are the gods, they have come down, to now he is dead. <laughs> have you ever been in a situation before where it was so terrible and it happened so fast that after it happened, you're just like, I, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe that just happened. Maybe in a car, I mean, I'm in a car accident or you've been through a tragedy or you've been through a situation in person and you have that extreme moment of just loss and of like, what is just happening? Like, I can't, and it's not even real. That's how I imagine it was in this situation here. A minute ago, the crowd was proclaiming them as gods and we're going to sacrifice to them. And then these people followed them for over a hundred kilometers, followed them with the intent to kill them. And they finally succeed and they get the crowd together and they begin to stone him. Now, stoning was a terrible thing. We looked at that in depth with the stoning of Stephen. These were not little pebbles. These were boulders that were thrown with the intent to crush the skull and to kill a person with as much pain and as quickly as possible. I wonder if Paul thought about Stephen and thought, okay, well, this is how it's going to be. Just as I stood and held the clothes of those that stoned and killed Stephen, God's, God's ironic will for me is that I'm going to die in that same way. I don't know what it was that he was thinking or if even he had time to think about this at all. But I know he reflected on it later on in Galatians 6, verse 17, where he said, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I think he would have willingly gone to this. I don't know that there would have been much resistance. They said, we're going to stone him. He would have followed. And he reflected that later on, he, he bore those marks. This was some of those marks for sure. But I want you to imagine being there as those disciples stood around. What, what do we do now? What do we do now? Think about those new believers, as we've seen in a minute, there were other believers there, meaning those that had just turned to Christ came and they were there. And they looked at the body of, 
of, uh, of Paul there. Imagine how Barnabas would have felt. And Barnabas would have been devastated. That so quickly, like it's been a struggle, a struggle, a struggle, and now he's been killed by the crowd. God, where are you? <laughs> I mean, man, Paul, he was in the prime of his ministry. Like he had just, I mean, God, we just, this is the first missionary journey. And think of all of those things that would have been running up through his head, all of those things that they would have been thinking about. And then we come to verse 20 where it says, how be it, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. <laughs> so, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> so they're all standing around. Paul is dead. He is bloodied. I mean, you do not go through uh, stoning looking okay. You know, his arm is snapped. And I mean, I mean, he's laying there and I can just see him. Paul, to me, he was, a, he was kind of a, a strict guy, but I think he was also kind of a funny guy in some ways. This is just my imagination. Uh, maybe one of those dry humors, you know, kind of the people they use humor and you're like, that was kind of morbid, <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know? And, and him just like popping his eye open, like, not today, guys, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but it says that he just got up. He just got up. Maybe later on he talks about how he had been taken to the third heaven. I, you know, maybe this is what, that moment when that happened. But it says here that he got up and he went into the city. Think about that. He went back into the city bloodied. I mean, if they carried him, like I, I'm just, I'm trying to imagine what this would have been like, but he gets up and he goes back in there and says, no funeral today, brothers and sisters, let's go back to the city. But then in wisdom, we see that he also left to Derby then the next day. Um, man, what, talk about bravery. If that was me, I would have been, I've been hiding out, you know, if God resurrected me, I would have been hiding out, but they went back into the city and I believe had a tremendous testimony because of his bravery and because of that whole situation. Again, it's interesting. Lystra is the town from where Timothy would come from in the future. That's kind of cool. And you wonder if maybe his mother and grandmother, the ones who raised him, if they were maybe converted during this time. And man, setting it up for another great man of God who went in and the Lord did a lot with. But Paul and Barnabas weren't done. So they decided to go to the city of Derby. Look at verse 21. And uh, when they had limped, the, no, no, and they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, the cities that they've been kicked out of and stoned in. Look what they did, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 23, that's a key phrase. I'll come back to that in a second. And when they had ordained the, them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. How powerful it is that they, on their way back, after being stoned, that they stopped and they spent time in each of those cities on the way back. Now, this, again, shows the heart of Paul. Because what do we see him doing? We see him going there and teaching them. One of the things he teaches them, you're going to suffer difficulty as he's got casts, you know, and, uh, and he's, just, he's got a huge scars, you know, across his face and his nose is now off to the side. And he says, you will suffer persecution. And they go, yes, Paul, yes, Paul. You know, and he, and he teaches them that. He says, you're going to go through much tribulation. But then we also see them ordaining elders in every church and commending them to the Lord. What does that mean? That means that they went back and and they found those believers. They found those that were called and committed and they trained them. I think this took time. The first missionary journey that we're talking about here took a little over two years to complete. Two years, about three months. And, uh, and so they spent time. And then when they found the right people, it says that they ordained them. They set aside. These are elders. These are leaders of the church. And then they also commended them or presented them to the Lord and said, God, this is your church now. 
This is your church in Iconium. They've come from a rough beginnings. <laughs> Lord, this is your church in Lystra. It's been interesting. This is your church in, in uh, Antioch of Pisidia. And they made sure that these, uh, that these churches would be established and that they were ready to go. Man, if I think in my own heart, I don't know that I would have had the guts to go back to any of those cities. You know, if I get bad service in a restaurant, I don't go back. <laughs> uh, imagine these guys are being stoned and attacked. And they went back and they trained and they helped them because God's plan for the local church is that believers would gather together, that there be leadership that would be ordained, and that we would present ourselves as a church to the Lord to serve our community and to grow and to build believers. And that's what we see Paul doing, establishing the local church. We are not meant as believers to do church alone. We are not meant as Christians to sit at home on our phone and watch a screen and call that church. As great as it's been over the last few months, that's not really uh, what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer. We need to be together and meeting together. And I'm so thankful that we're starting to do that again. And that's a blessing. But some of you out there, listen, some of you, I know there's a lot of people who have been watching and you're not part of a local church. You need to be a part of the local church. I got to tell you, if, if, if you are, uh, you know, I've had people say to me like, well, I can just do it on my own. I'll just study the Bible by myself and, and I'll just come to my own conclusions about things. That's not God's intention for the local, for the, for the believer. His intention for you is that you not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but you meet with people, you grow, you submit yourself to a church authority, and you grow and allow the Lord to work in your life in that way. And so I want to encourage you with that thought and that testimony of Paul and Barnabas. And so as they felt the church could go on, they commended them and they departed. And then they began the journey all the way back to Antioch in Syria for a report. And so we come to verse number, uh, third point today, sorry, which is the declaration in Antioch, the declaration in Antioch of Syria, if you want to write that down. Look at verse number 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they uh, fulfilled. I've got a map here. I want to put this up. This is the map of their return journey. And, uh, and you'll notice there, uh, they were back up in Derby. remember, after leaving Lystra. And then they went all the way back through Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, came all the way down that 200-kilometer journey. The journey from Antioch to Iconium is about 135 kilometers, I believe, 30 kilometers down to Lystra, another 60 over to Derby. They come down the mountains through the robbers and the bandits all the way down to Perga, and they preach the gospel there again. And then they go to Atal, and then they take the boat all the way over to Seleucia, and then they walk again all the way back over to Antioch of Syria, the church that originally had commissioned them, as I said, that they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. I mean, that's a journey right there. That's, a, that's no joke. And everywhere they went, they continued to preach the gospel. Verse number 27, this is what happens when they get to the church. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Man, what would it have been like as they they were reunited after over two years. These first missionaries that were sent out, the people had sacrificed and given for them to go and for them to meet together again for that first time when they returned that missionary journey. That would have been awesome. It's like today. It would have been electric a little bit. We've been excited. They would have been able to hug each other and fist bump and all of that, uh, unlike us today. Uh, but it would have been pretty amazing as they shared with joy the dangers of their journey. Think about it as they told about the traveling conditions 
about the failures, about getting kicked out and chased out. And then as Paul said, oh yeah, there's a stoning. But then we moved on to whatever. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? And Barnabas says, oh yeah, he's just making it seem light. Yeah, we thought he was dead. <laughs> he was, in fact, dead. And, 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 and that whole story, as they tell about it, and as they begin to tell about the victories as well. Man, it was difficult, but there was this guy named Sergius Paulus on Cyprus that we met. And you'll never believe there was this sorcerer, this false prophet. He came, and they're telling the story, but he got saved in many. And then they talk about the multitudes that were saved in Iconium. And they talk about... Um, how the churches were established in Lystra and Derby and all of these places. And as they tell that church family that had sacrificed, that had given to them, that had encouraged them with what God had been doing, they rejoiced and they praised the Lord because the door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles. You notice how they said that? They said, I want you to know, church family, the door is open. The door is open. And it's time for us to kick that door wider open. And the door is ready for us to continue to share the gospel. You know, the amazing thing about all this is that Paul and Barnabas were able to accomplish all of this for the Lord, plant all of these churches without the modern transportation and communication that we have today. I just want to bring that up for a moment because what they accomplished here was pretty remarkable. There's a guy by the name of Bob Pierce. Uh, He founded Samaritan's Purse and he's well known. He did a lot of things for the Lord, part of uh, Youth for Christ and some different other foundations. But he said this, he said, others have done so much with so little while we have done so little with so much. When I read that quote, I was just really convicted by that because it's true. Paul and Barnabas, they went out and they didn't have anything really. I mean, today, by today's standards, you had to rely a lot on the, the kindness of others. All they had was a a direction from the Lord, a leading from the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they saw God do amazing things. And yet we have all the technology, the communication, we have everything. We have all of the wealth of the world. We can do whatever we want. We can be whoever we want, but yet we're accomplishing so little for the cause of Christ. Man, the devotion that we see here of Paul and Barnabas certainly is what characterized their ministry as they continued on. And for Paul especially, his love for the Lord is what led to a ministry of perseverance, even in the middle of trials. And that's my prayer for us as a church today. My prayer for us as a church is that we would learn from Paul and Barnabas, that we would also be reminded and that we would be determined to live for the Lord like they did. It will not be easy, as Paul said to those churches. There would be much tribulation. Even later on, he reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11, he talked about persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, those cities. What persecutions I endured in his letter to Timothy. He says, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a, that's a for sure thing. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, continue. Despite the difficulty, despite the persecution, you've got to continue in the things which you have learned and the one who has taught them to you. Well, today we have the word of God that teaches us what we need to know. It's the word of God that gives us our values. It is the word of God that gives us our calling. And it may be difficult and it is hard, but as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand and remember what Jesus went through in order for us to have the gospel. And we have to recognize that we can just count it nothing to suffer for his name. First Peter chapter 3, 14 says, but, in, but and if, he says, you will, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. <laughs> happy are ye. 
and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God. I mean, set him apart in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer for every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We use that verse a lot when we talk about apologetics and being ready to share the word at any time at the drop of a hat, be ready to preach and teach uh, other people and share the gospel. But he gives it to us in the context of persecution. That even in persecution, even in suffering, we are not to withdraw, but in fact, that is, means we are to be ready through our suffering to share Jesus Christ with other people, to be telling them about what is going on, to giving the, giving the answer for the hope that is within us because it is suffering that reveals our hope. Suffering is what reveals our hope. So what's the application for today? Here's the application. Here's what I want us to get. How, how's your determination for the Lord right now? How is, your, uh, how is your perseverance for the Lord right now? Has it been a season of struggle? <laughs> Has it been a season of, I'm just going to coast for right now and I'm just going to get through this? I'm going to go ahead and allow those wrong thoughts and that I'm going to allow the discouragement and I'm going to allow uh, um, uh, a little bit of sin in my life because we're all at home and we're all stru struggling. So I'm going to let some sin in. And I'm going to let some things connect in and I'm just going to sort of coast this out and then I'll get everything right when we all start to come back together again. Have you been walking in that way or have you been persevering? Have you been, church, if the worst thing that we have to go through is, as far as persecution is staying at home for a few months and we're still struggling in that, I really fear for when true persecution begins to come to the church. And it's coming. It's coming. So are you persevering? Are you determined? Is your faith faltering? Are you neglecting the word of God through this time? I want to encourage you through the testimony of Paul and Barnabas to just keep on persevering. Keep on. Keep on uh, reaching out to others. Keep on connecting with the Lord. Keep on uh, uh, pushing for him, even when it seems like the world is falling apart all around us. Because it's so easy to get overwhelmed with fear and concern, isn't it? It's so easy to become overwhelmed. And at the same time, you think about Paul and Barnabas being physically chased out of cities <laughs> with rocks being thrown and then stoned and going through all of that, and it did not deter them from living for the Lord. I was thinking about Paul and how he got stoned, but then he got back up. <laughs> what does it take to knock you down, right? What does it take for you to get back up again? Man, the last few months have knocked some of us on our back. <laughs> it's knocked some of us to our knees. <laughs> it's knocked us down. It's been a struggle. It's been hard. But listen, with Paul and Barnabas, we can be like them as they left that uh, city and left Cyprus and headed over. They left and they went with joy because of the comfort and the courage of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, we're gonna rejoice with God in heaven one day over all of this. What he's looking for and what he wants to see in his servants is he wants to see faithfulness. He wants to see determination. That just like Christ suffered persecution for us, we must be willing to suffer and still have joy and continue to stay on with him through the difficulty. So I wanna encourage you today with this, stay strong, take courage, and just live for God. Stay strong, take courage, and live for Him. Those of you watching online today, I want you to stay strong, I want you to take courage, and I want you to continue to live for Him and learn from Paul and Barnabas and be people of determination and people of persistence. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.